This is Todd Summerfeld. I'm a sales agronomist for CHS in Crookston, Minnesota. We are pleased to bring you the update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan in studio. We'll also hear from Whitney Pittman in Bismarck and Tyler Donaldson in Alexandria. U.S. Treasury Department issued long-awaited guidance regarding the implementation of sustainable aviation fuels tax credits. Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Jeff Cooper says this has been a long time coming. Well, the industry's been waiting on this guidance for a long time now, uh, and we've been waiting for detail on how the Treasury is going to actually implement this tax credit. And just to remind folks, the, the tax credit is available to producers of sustainable aviation fuel that can demonstrate that the fuel they're producing reduces greenhouse gas emissions by 50% or more compared to petroleum-based jet fuel. Corn and ethanol industries please the U.S. Department of Energy's GREET model will be among the methodologies used to determine eligibility for that tax credit. We've been waiting for many months now for detail on what methodology the Treasury Department is going to require for conducting that life cycle analysis. We have been advocating that the Treasury should use the Department of Energy's GREET model. Uh, it is the most current, uh, best up-to-date model available for doing that sort of life cycle analysis. And so we were happy to see in this morning's guidance that the Treasury Department, in addition to a couple of other methodologies, is going to allow the use of the GREET model. North Dakota Farmers Union Annual Convention underway. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman has this report from Bismarck. The North Dakota Farmers Union Annual Convention talking with Government Relations Director Matt Perdue. Uh, exciting things going on here. Uh, Carbon Alliance, tell us what's happening and what you've got uh, going on with that. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for being here. Um, so one of the things that we're highlighting this week at our convention is uh, the launch of a new program called the Alliance to Advance Climate Smart Agriculture. Uh, this is funded with a USDA Climate Smart Commodities grant. Um, and we in North Dakota, North Dakota Farmers Union is the state lead for our state. We're going to be delivering about 13 to $14 million to farmers and ranchers around the state for adopting or maintaining uh, conservation practices that are good for soil health, are good for water quality, are good for erosion control, and happen to sequester carbon in the soil. So what does this mean for producers in the state? What kind of opportunities will they have for their individual operations? So at the farm level, we are providing $100 an acre for up to 160 acres or animal units. It is a pilot, so we're providing an acreage or animal unit cap. Um, but there's going to be producers out there who, who can receive $16,000 to support the stewardship practices that they are doing or will do on their operation. And I think the really important note here is this program is intended to reflect the total public benefit of those practices. We know farmers and ranchers are great stewards of our natural resources. We want to reward them for that, and that's what this program is trying to do. And, you know, as we, we talk about carbon markets and, and carbon contracts and that sort of thing, there's a lot of, you know, 
paying for the change with those contracts and whatnot, but you mentioned that this is something that people can, can find some reward for things that they have been doing. Yeah, so one of the things that we, uh, we wanted to establish this pilot for is to show how we can support early adopters, folks who've been doing conservation practices on their operation for years, sometimes decades. How can we make sure that they're not left behind by these programs? And so that's one thing that we are going to do. We are going to support early adopters. We welcome them to apply, and we're going to be supporting their uh, their decision to maintain stewardship practices that they're doing already. All right. Any other details of the program or where people can learn more about it, that sort of thing, before we let you go? So uh, the program is getting up and running very quickly here. Uh, we hope to open enrollment um, at the end of January, and North Dakota Farmers Union is going to be providing a lot of updates, as will our partners at the Conservation Districts, the Conservation Districts Employees Association, and the North Dakota Grain Growers Association. All right. Well, certainly exciting, and, and thank you for taking the time to, to highlight that program with us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Matt Perdue joining us on the Red River Farm Network. NDSU Extension Crops Economist Frain Olson addressing the North Dakota Farmers Union membership at their annual convention this morning. Olson explains that states are driving the demand for renewable diesel across the country. That's kind of the big issue is so how big is this demand base? How big is the marketplace for renewable diesel? The diesel fuel that's made from soybean oil or other lipids. Right now, it's really the California laws, the low-carbon fuel standards, that are driving most of this. Now, California, Washington State, and Oregon have all passed very similar kinds of legislation. And to be very honest, we're, as an agriculture, having a hard time supplying the demand base for California only. Now, there's other states like Colorado, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, and into the Northeast, New York State is talking about adopting similar kinds of low-carbon fuel standards for their individual states. While consumers are equipped to make the switch to renewable diesel, there are other bottleneck questions to answer. But you don't have to do anything new to your engines. You can use the same pipelines, you can use the same gas pumps or diesel fuel pumps. You don't have to change your engine at all. You can dump it into your truck or your tractor, your combine, or your pickup, and it'll run just like number two diesel fuel because it's number two diesel fuel. Okay. So there's a lot of excitement from the carbon side of the ledger. The issue is, can we supply that? And are we going to be able to grow fast enough? Do we have the volumes that are required to be able to do that? Because the energy market is much, much bigger than our ability in agriculture to supply it. U.S. Class 1 railroads originated 21,000 grain carloads during the week ending November 25th. That's down 28% from the previous week. It's 12% less than last year. USDA's weekly grain transportation report says shuttle secondary rail car bids and offers were at tariff for the week ending November 30th. That's $44 less than the previous week. It's $665 lower than a year ago. Barge grain movement totaling 717,000 tons, 23% less than the previous week. And as of December 6th, the rate for shipping a metric ton of grain from the uh, Gulf to Japan, $62.75. That's up 10%. The rate to ship from the the PNW to Japan, also up 10% at $32.50 a metric ton. This is the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Minnesota State Cattlemen's Association's annual convention is underway in Alexandria. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Tyler Donaldson is there. 
I'm Tyler Donaldson with the Red River Farm Network here at the Minnesota State Cattle Industry Convention here with Caitlin Root. Uh, are there any big takeaways from the 2023 year for the cattle industry? Anything going into the new year? Yes. So, so policy that we'll be working on is animal depredation. That's always top of mind. This is wolves, deer, elk. So we have been seeing incredible numbers of deer eating our producers forage and it was a pretty rough winter last year. This also brings disease concern. So this is something that we will be focusing on with the DNR this year. Um, we, we are working on getting the wolf delisted. Again, this is going to be a continuous problem with especially producers in northern Minnesota facing wolf depredation losses. And when elk come in, they typically are hurting the fences and wrecking the fences. So animal depredation. And another thing that we will be looking at this year is drought relief for our farmers and ranchers. Once again, it was a pretty rough summer for a lot of our producers. So we need to ensure that there are drought relief programs for them, that they are getting their payments. And then that US drought monitor map, we're kind of seeing issues with it being super efficient and accurate. So, so those are all kind of things that were problems this year and that we're gonna still be working on in this next coming year. Uh, any other policy issues that uh, are standing out to you as a priority here for the new year? Yeah, we've been hearing a lot of talk about drinking water concerns and nitrate levels in southeastern Minnesota. Environmentalist groups are targeting quote-unquote industrial egg and big egg operations for being the problem here. <laughs> um, we are really working to ensure that we are showing what our farmers and ranchers are already doing to protect the water. They want clean water just as much as their neighbors. Their livelihood depends on it. So it's it's showing the ways that producers are already working towards this achievement. Anything else you'd like to share or think we should know about? I just think one thing to highlight is that the theme of this year's convention is creating a dynasty, leaving a legacy. That's what it's all about. These farmers and ranchers are working every day to provide for future generations, and we are here to assist them. I would say now more than ever, very important for you all, if you have cattle, you should be a Minnesota State Cattlemen's Association member. So if you would like to join, please go to mnsca.org and click on Become a Member. You can actually just sign up right there online. This is Tyler Donson with Red River Farm Network. State Cattlemen's Association President Jake Thompson says this afternoon's session will be looking at cattle markets with Hurley and Associates. I kind of warned them already uh, this afternoon for a feeder council meeting. It, it, it might get a little interesting, but yep, they're going to be here to, to kind of talk about some of the tools in the toolbox to help maybe navigate some of these up and down waters and, and what uh, producers can and can do to, to help them, uh, make themselves profitable. Tonight we've kind of go into uh, more of the social aspect of it with our beef banquet, um, have some awards to give away, um, a great meal. We've got a comedian tonight. Um, uh, live and silent auctions a big deal here. Uh, we've got all kinds of items. Trade shows open all day. We've got actually a waiting list for trade show uh, people coming in. So we have 55 plus booths. And Thompson says tomorrow morning is the business session. Um, tomorrow morning we kind of get into the nuts and bolts. Uh, in the morning we've actually got a really um, good breakfast panel on uh, some of the uh, uh, con conservation practices to use to make your, your uh, herd a little more economically uh, sound. And then uh, we kind of go into our quarterly and annual meetings tomorrow. National Cattlemen's Beef Association President Todd Wilkinson is the keynote speaker at the Cattlemen's Convention. Wilkinson would like to see some money for traceability added to the next farm bill. And I think we were making pretty good progress on this because uh, through uh, ag appropriations and in with uh, Chairman Thompson, 
you know, it, it appeared that we had about $21 million um, rounded up out of um, maybe a total cost of $26 million. And what, what, what we're using that money for, assuming that we get it, is to help the producer, the cow-calf guy, and the feedlot operator not have to pay for all of those costs of tags and all of the equipment. Because if USDA is going to make this traceability mandatory, it shouldn't fall on the backs of, of every cow-calf producer to have to shoulder all of this burden. Wilkinson is really not optimistic about getting a farm bill passed in early 2024, but he does think it'll get done before the end of the year. This is the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Let's catch up with Ag Week editor Jenny Schlecht. Jenny, what do you have for us on the cover of Ag Week this week? Well, Christmas is coming up, and so we decided to look at a crop that uh, definitely doesn't get a lot of attention in this region, and that's Christmas trees. Uh, we, our reporters throughout the region, talk to uh, growers in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Um, now, of course, Wisconsin is one of the leaders in, in Christmas trees, North Dakota is on the very far end of the, of the spectrum. I think they're one of the lowest <laughs> in trees, as anyone who's driven through North Dakota can attest. Uh, but the, the, the growers all um, had similar struggles and uh, similar uh, reasons for being in the industry uh, that include just the joy that they bring to people, being one of the positives. And the hard part being things that uh, farmers of any other crop can, can attest to, uh, dealing with weather. Drought is a big one. Uh, and pests and disease, uh, what was really interesting is uh, realizing that a drought this year isn't necessarily going to impact them this year. It's going to impact them 10 years from now because they're planting trees today that aren't going to be full-grown, big enough for your living room uh, until almost a decade down the road. And so it was really interesting to think about the planning that has to go into uh, what these people do. And it, it's got to be very hard to start a farm saying I'm going to harvest my first crop eight to ten years from now and so I, I really applaud these people and their foresight and their work because it obviously brings a lot of joy to people and they're they're doing a lot of work and we have a, a lot of information in the story about what really goes into um, to growing a Christmas tree and and what they're doing and how they're doing it and and there's just a, a lot of correlations between uh, growing Christmas trees and growing any other crop. Well, Jenny, sounds interesting. Looking forward to reading about it next week's Ag Week. And let's check markets before we leave you. March wheat, Minneapolis, 11 and a quarter higher, 728 and a half. Chicago March wheat's up 13 and a half. Kansas City is five and a half higher. March corn, four higher at uh, 483 and a quarter. January soybeans are up three quarters of a penny at 1314 and three quarters. Thanks for joining us. This is the Red River Farm Network.